Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ with you. This is Front Row Knowles. And Keith, you want to do 16 hours, four weeks worth of shows, or you just want to simply say that was a flat-out butt-kicking? Woodshed whooping, I think, uh, would be another expression for it. Uh, I was obviously pleased, as every Seminole fan would be, but this is is how total the the beatdown was. I can't believe I'm even saying this. I got teammates that will knock me upside the head if they hear this. But at some point in that latter part of the third quarter, first to fourth quarter, I almost felt sorry for Miami and, and Coach Cristobal because I like I like Coach Cristobal. I've always respected him. He's been a part of this rivalry as a player and now coach. Um, but they had injuries. They had issues. Uh, I don't want to take anything away from anybody, and I'd have been pleased if it was 72 to 3. But, uh, man, uh, woodshed whooping. I'm not one of your former teammates, Keith, but I'll knock you upside the head. I don't have any empathy at all, nor did I last night. Keep <laughs> scoring. Let's get it in the 50s. <laughs> I hear you, brother. I hear you. <laughs> There's, uh, We don't really need to go X's and O's on this thing. I think – So let's point back to last week. Everybody was upset at how sloppy Florida State was. And you and I, when we did this show, I think we were both in agreement that though they were sloppy last week, it was a best case scenario because you whipped Georgia Tech and it would be a good teaching week and people would be focused and dialed in. And we talked about how we thought FSU would play a clean game. That's one of the cleanest games they've played in a long time, just across the board. That special teams, when you're punting and guys are are catching the ball at the two-yard line, not once, but twice. I mean, it was... Your kicker seems to be back, and that's without even talking about offense and defense. That was a buttoned-up, polished performance from Florida State. And see, as we talked last week, one of the things that happens when you're still a young ball club is you you have a tendency to lose focus. You have a tendency to overlook. I know the coaching staff, quote-unquote, won't let the team do that, but it happens. But see, here's the next part of that progression, and there are numerous steps, but the next part of the progression is this is Miami, so it's a rivalry game. What you've got to do now is you've got to look at Syracuse. And while no way am I about to tell you it will have the same level of intensity, you've got to understand that if you want to win your division, and of course next year it doesn't matter, we don't have divisions, but if you want to win your division, if you want to play in the ACC championship game, if you want to get into the playoffs, You have to treat every game with that same intensity. And that's what separates the great teams from the really good teams. And that's what separates the really good teams from just the good teams. And right now, Florida State is a good team, but they're not really good and they're nowhere near great, but they're making progress. We'll continue to look back at that NC State game because had that one gone Florida State's way, they would be what, ranked between 10 and 15 probably this week, especially in light of the fact that LSU just beat Alabama. That's where that would have gone. They wouldn't have been a playoff team this year, but seven and two does sound a lot better than six and three, and they, they'd be in the middle of the rankings. Yeah, but you win that NC State game, you don't learn the lessons you need to learn through that loss. Maybe you're not seven and two. Maybe you're five and four or whatever. I mean, everything's a part of the process, but I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, and I do agree with that because when people nitpick games doing what we do, we only point to the if this had happened for FSU and we name six or eight or ten things when take the Clemson game. Six or eight plays change, FSU wins the game, right? Well, what if Clemson 
does six or eight things better on their end. Well, then FSU's not in the game, right? So we right. only look at it one way when we're doing this. So that's a fair point. And I, I didn't really mean to take us back there, but just in, in light of the fact that LSU is now having the season it's having to the point that they could conceivably become the first two-loss team to make the playoff. If they win the SEC, it could happen. Uh, and here you have Florida State. And I, I don't want to look too far ahead, but that sets up a top 20 game certainly next year in Orlando. And No question. Without without knowing who's leaving for, for either team, uh, it's going to be a top 10 LSU team and a top 15 or 20 FSU team, depending on how this year finishes up. And here's another point to it. I know we're we're in our look at the FSU Miami game, but if you want to take big picture, and we'll talk about this more on our Wednesday show, I'm sure. Clemson losing, Tommy, you're not going to have an ACC team in the playoff. Right. There'll, there'll be two SEC teams and there might be two big 10 teams. And so that's going to be, I predict that's going to be the reason why the committee is going to go ahead and move to 12 before the normal renewal time. Well, that will put just my, just my personal opinion. Yeah. Well, the good news there is we're talking three years versus two years. It's not like this is 15 years out. I'd, I'd like it sooner rather than later, but uh, it's not like we're talking. It's not like it's the ACC contract, Keith, that we're waiting to expire in 2036. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Well, let's talk so, a little bit about some players. Let's talk a little bit about some players. How about the game that Jordan Travis had? Yeah, well, he, I was just he, I was just going to go there, and I was going to start with the, the job that Mike Norvell and Alex Atkins have done. And, and they did this even when they had nothing working for them the last two years. They have done a terrific job of really scripting a first series. I mean, it, it's, almost, it's almost take it to the bank that Florida State's going to score on its first drive now, the way they scheme things up and – and that, there wasn't anything fancy about that. Pokey just ran right past the corner, and the corner was trailing by three yards, and it was a perfect throw. Agreed. And and, and you talk about a perfect throw. It was almost an overthrow, but somehow Pokey found a way to bring it in and not fall down. You know, normally you leave your feet on that catch, and and you make the catch, you cradle it, you bump on the ground a little bit. But he was able to combine that that reach uh, while keeping his feet. You know, two things jumped out of me about Jordan's performance. Number one, we, we don't know. Uh, we could ask. I'm not sure they would tell us. We don't know how many pre-snap changes that Jordan made. But I'm, a, I'm here to tell you there were more. it was more than two or more than three. And I suggest if you went back and graded him on those pre-snap decisions, uh, it, was, it was nearly fall, flawless. And number two, you know, we had 13 completions between Jordan and, and the time that Rodemaker got in there. Ten different receivers called a pass. And an 11th one was targeted. He just didn't catch it. Ten different receivers. And you only completed 13 passes. Now, this is not an offense that you're sitting at as a junior or a senior. And, and you're, you're a good mid-level three-star, lower four-star, a guy that wants to get into a program and develop. Why would this not be the offense that would attract you? And that's what Coach Norvell did at Memphis. That's what he's done out west. And, and, and he's continuing to build upon it here. And I don't think – that's almost undeniable about how, um, how active and how – I'll use a big Wildwood word, participatory. You know, everybody gets to play and everybody gets to touch the ball. And, um, man, I, I can't help but believe that is extremely enticing. Excuse me. Well, yeah, I would agree with that. 
one of the things that's obvious that, that everybody gets to play, but everybody cheers for everybody else. And we've talked about this since the very first game of the season against Duquesne, when whoever it was went in and scored in the fourth quarter and the happiest guys on the, were not the guys on the field. They were the guys on the side of the field cheering for whoever scored. It was the running back situation. I forget exactly who it scored. Might've been Toa Feely scoring late in that game. But these guys are genuinely ecstatic for their teammates when they make a good play. When when Thomas made the interception late in the game, I mean, and everybody had packed up and gone home uh, and he makes his first career interception, the sideline erupted as if they just did a game-winning kick, you know, to to, to beat somebody. So that that's all part of the culture and uh, it, it's fun to watch. This This is... I don't know how I'd rate him because you lose track year to year and you you get uh, persuaded, but to live in the moment. This is one of the more fun teams that I've covered for Florida State, just from the standpoint that they truly are a team. Uh, they're all really good, personable in their interviews, but more than that, they just pull the rope the same direction. And I realize they're six and three, not nine and zero, oh, but it's a fun team to cover. Yeah, and there's a couple of things that always jump out at me when I hear. Because you're you're there, you're on the sidelines, you're with the kids, you're you're doing the interviews. Um, there's two things about that that always jumps out at me. Number one, that makes practice more fun, even the intense, full padded practices, because you you are both, you know, everybody rather is pulling the rope in the same direction. The other thing that it does, Tommy, and this is what what is often over not overlooked, but not stressed enough about Coach Bowden is it develops loyalty amongst your staff because your staff enjoys coaching kids like this. So now you've got an enjoyable head coach to play for. You've got an enjoyable practice time, prep time, kids that are paying attention. You've got a great family town in Tallahassee to raise your kids in or to enjoy your grandkids in. Um, You know, everything works in that same direction. So when Coach Norvell is talking about building the foundation. If you build the foundation correctly, then you can start erecting these these things on top of it that make it a program and not just a team or not just a game played by a team. And uh, they're not there yet. You're exactly right. They're not 9-0. and uh, But it is fun watching them continue to progress. And there'll be some potholes. Uh, I, you know, I, I think they can win out, but I won't be jumping off my second story balcony down at the beach if, if they drop another one. But you've got to be well pleased with how the trajectory is going and the progress that's being made. I don't see how you could argue it any other way. And so let's go back to Jordan Travis. I was going to ask him this in the post game, but he went there himself. Two years ago, Florida State went down and lost 52 to 10 to Miami. Mike Norvell was at home. He had COVID. He didn't even coach the game in person. Well, I guess he didn't coach the game at all now that I think about it, right? Jordan Travis didn't start that day. James Blackman did, but Travis was used as a weapon. And you'll recall, though he had some running success, they also tried a double reverse and he threw an interception while falling down at midfield. And it was sort of the one meme or picture that that captured what happened that day, which was Miami totally dominated Florida State. And so now here you are two years later, and Jordan Travis is 2-0 and as a starting quarterback against Miami. And FSU just beat Miami by 42 points two years after losing by 42 in that stadium. I mean, that is a remarkable climb, to use Norvell's verbiage, in two years for both the individual and the program. 
And certainly it's something that uh, the coaching staff and the administration can continue to reinforce with the players and with the fan base, boosters in particular. Progress is being made, folks. Progress is being made. We're not there yet. The climb is a constant climb. You never get to the top. You're always striving for more. As the, as the late, great Casey Kasem used to say, keep your feet on the ground and reach for the stars. That's what this is all about. Uh, and right now, Florida State's living at large. Travis played very well. 10 of 12 in the game, over 200 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, this is very nitpicky. Two things he'd probably want to have back. One was the interception. He threw in a double coverage, but having said that, if he had just led the receiver, if he had gotten him to flatten his route and thrown it more towards the middle of the field or the left side of the field, there there was space there, and it probably would have been completed or certainly not intercepted. And then the other one was in the third quarter when he took that sack and lost 15 yards. That's a ball he knew in the moment that he needed to just throw away and live for another down because it blew up that drive. And the, the significance at that time was Florida State has not done great in the third quarter of late. And so that was when you wanted to step on the throw to Miami and it didn't happen in that moment. And I think Miami's long drive ensued on that after you punted it down to the two, but again, that that's nitpicky. Jordan was great. The offense was great. We haven't even talked about the running back who breaks four tackles every time they hand it to him. But well, uh, and, uh, Benson, I mean, you know, he, he's still trailing Treshawn by three or four yards for the rushing lead if you can believe that. And, and Trey's been out, uh, Ward, Trey Ward has been out for a couple of games, but uh, you know, Trey Benson, I mean, he just, I'm trying to think who to compare him to. He's, he's a, he's a smaller version of, 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 you know, a Greg Allen or, you know, uh, Jones or something like that. He's so, I mean, he's a, he's a little bit smaller in stature. He's not huge, but he's so powerful. And, and he, he still has that knack that uh, Warwick Dunn had where you really don't get a good shot on him. And, and the first guy very rarely have ever brings him down. He finishes the game with 15 carries for 128 yards, uh, two scores at 42-yard scamper early in the ballgame, you know, averaging 8.5 yards a game. Florida State averaged 4.7 even with sacks thrown in. Uh, Florida State suffered three sacks in the ballgame. I, I can't wait for Ward to get back and then – Defenses to figure out, all right, is it Ward? Is it, is it, is it Benson? Is it Toa Feely? What happened to that CJ dude? And where's that freshman? Where's that freshman? I, I'm still scared of him. So running back, uh, that's, a, that's a great segment room to be in right now. We talked about it last week. It might be the best segment group on the team. I mean, it certainly probably was when Fabian Lovett was out. Now that Lovett's back, we can go back to saying it's the D tackles. But he he is really fun to watch, and you – you shortchanged him on, on catches, too. He had a catch for 25 yards, right, Keith? So he yes, he, yes, I did. I apologize. I apologize, Troy, uh, Trey. He, yeah, he's he's tough to watch. So this, Let's segue into, into red zone offense here a little bit because he said something interesting to me when I asked him about it. I talked to him postgame, and, you know, he's from Mississippi, and I just asked him a generic question. You know, you didn't grow up in this rivalry, but you played in rivalry games, and he immediately turned it to – well, I enjoyed competing against my old coach because he had gone to Oregon to play for Mario Cristobal. And so I don't know what their relationship was. I didn't dig around and probe. Uh, I don't know if he felt like Cristobal abandoned ship on the Oregon guys out there or what. But that was that was his motivation. He immediately brought that up in the whole staff uh, in terms of having that kind of performance. Well, you know, and, and he didn't say a lot during the week. Now, Michael Pittman 
who also transferred from Oregon, uh, he had brought that up a couple of times in interviews during the Miami week, but Trey Benson had not mentioned anything, but maybe just didn't have the opportunity. Uh, so yeah, you, you know, there's some respect there. You know, that, uh, there was a reason why both he and Pittman signed with Oregon and, and, and however they enter, uh, you know, inherited, uh, Bell or, uh, crystal ball rather, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, the, whether the rivalry is Florida state Miami or whether the rivalry is player coach, uh, or, you know, uh, I, I, I didn't even know this, but coach Strawn is on the staff in Miami and a number of these kids would have been recruited by Charlie, uh, coach strong, you know, during their time over the last three or four years with his other position, maybe, maybe they want to prove something to him. I don't know. Um, rivalries are just interesting motivators. There's no question. Several side notes I can go on, but keeping it with, with Trey Benson. Well, you mentioned Micah Pittman. Pittman didn't have a catch last night and we could probably nitpick that there's a couple punts he should have got to gotten to, that that bounced but my the bigger point I want to make now is if you look at it Johnny Wilson had two catches for 20 something yards Pittman didn't have a catch Pokey obviously had the big one early on but really the receivers were non-factors in terms of stats not non-factors in terms of the fact that Miami had to pay attention to him but it was such a whipping that Florida State just lined up and ran downhill on these guys over and over and over again I mean it was impressive you, you probably couldn't see from being on the field, and I, I, particularly in the second half, was paying a little more attention. But the one thing that Coach Dugans would, would uh, argue with you against or about, playfully, of course, is uh, the wide receiver blocking. All right, they weren't catching passes. But you go back and look at the tape, you know, there's a reason why uh, Florida State ran for, what was it, 225 yards, 229 yards. There's a reason why. You know, you got to get to the next level and then you got to get some people out of the way. And uh, the wide receivers, I thought, did a very, very good job blocking, even if they didn't get the opportunity to catch the ball. Well, and early in the game, they had a couple opportunities and Miami was busy uh, playing poor technique and just holding guys and getting called for defensive pass interference a couple of times. All right. Back to what I was going to say about goal line. So uh, Trey and the uh, I just asked Trey a a general question, a broad question about being six for six in red zone opportunities, which is what Florida State was. And had to be a point of emphasis, that kind of thing. And he said, he said, well, I'm not in on goal line. He said, I was tonight, but normally I'm not. And so if you think about it, it really, Trey hasn't been in on goal line. It's been Treshawn Ward, who's hurt. But the bigger change that they made is they they practiced and repped I formation this week, Keith. And they lined up and, and ran it. And I think, so two things. One, it, it shows that Mike Norvell is willing to do whatever it takes to to try and score points. But I think it also shows or exhibits the reason why we've seen some less conventional play calling at the goal line. And that is because Florida state needed a yard and got about a yard and an inch. And it took two carries to do it. They're just not equipped yet to really line up and truly be successful against a great defensive front like that, in my opinion, but it did work against Miami. And how about our uh, our friend DJ with a not a not a rushing touchdown, but a receiving touchdown for the linebacker? I think he's the first <laughs> player, first defensive player in Florida State history that's had a uh, a rushing touchdown and a receiving touchdown. Could be, could have, be. Have to look that up. But uh, anyway, I, and I uh, I sent you and Bob Frante a, a message this week because I got tired of hearing all this this red zone stuff. So I and I, I dove deeper and looked into it. So Florida State again, they were six for six against Miami. 
and, and there is nuance to this. And last week they ranked 103rd, I think, nationally in red zone scoring. But that includes field goals or touchdowns, which really is not what you want to pay attention to. You want to get more touchdowns. But the one everybody was quoting or, or trotting out there was the 103rd in red zone. They had missed nine times on the year going into the game last night, but two of them were against LSU and three of them were against Louisville. So five of the misses came in, in the very first part of the season. And then since then, they'd missed about one time a game on average. So, uh, and the point I made to you is that if Fitzgerald had made three makeable field goals, and if they don't fumble the two times inside the five, which is pretty unconventional, they, they would have actually ranked 31st in red zone in that metric going into the game. Yeah, but they've been upper third. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, could could have, would have, should have. The bigger point there is that you want to score more touchdowns than field goals, and so really the touchdown percentage metric is what you should look at. And uh, and Florida State was successful, uh, really successful last night in that. I just I just think, and and we've also lost sight of the fact that when this year started, Florida State had the longest active red zone scoring streak in the country, dating back to last year. They were up to somewhere between thirty five and forty consecutive red zone scores. The one that snapped it was the turnover on downs just before halftime against LSU when on fourth down they threw to Micah Pittman instead of trying to kick a field goal. So the the larger point here, Keith, it's not as if this staff doesn't know how to execute or coach in the red zone. And I think I think we saw it come a little bit more back to what the norm is or regressed to the mean last night. And even with the frustration of us older folks about all the times that they go for it on fourth down in in places on the field that at least historically you wouldn't FSU did convert their one and only fourth down um, opportunity last night and, and won as was evident by the score, obviously, but won the third down uh, battle in that the offense was, I think a little bit above 50% and they held Miami to around 25% when the Canes had the ball. Um, yeah, we can, we can be nitpicky about those types of statistics um, uh, 45-3 makes us uh, appear to be rather uh um, rather nitpicky. I'll just say it that way. It's been a streaky series. It, it uh, had gone, what, six or seven in a row for FSU, then Miami won four in a row, and now we're back to two in a row for FSU. And and I had forgotten, by the way, people like to refer to Hard Rock Stadium as Seminole Hard Rock, which is not technically in the name, even though the Seminole Tribe owns Hard Rock, right? So we always throw it in there. Or they call it Doak South. Well, the first time FSU and Miami played in that stadium was 2008 and FSU down there has won in the Miami series in 08, 10, 12, 14, 16, and now 22. So there's six and two in that stadium against Miami, which is bizarre in a, in a series. This, this series has always been that way. Miami's had success up here and Florida state's had a lot of success down there. It has been bizarre that way. You're exactly right. And I don't know what the numbers were in the old orange bowl, but, uh, Florida State really struggled down there in the in the wide right ones and wide right twos and wide lefts and fumbled snaps and Dexter Carter throwing flags at people, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's just been a – I mean, I think – I hope that, that the folks that watched the game last night that have no affiliation to Florida State Miami, A, because I think ABC did a really good job of, of mapping out the history, and even though – the, the significance on the national stage hasn't been what it used to be. What it was was very, very big. And that these, these, these guys, you know, are kids that played with and against each other. They know each other. They compete against each other. 
it's it's meaningful in the state, and it was you know although it was one sided, it was an entertaining ball game because you saw Florida State do a lot of different things, a lot of different ways, and we haven't even talked about defense, and probably won't spend much time on it. I don't know how entertaining it was for the Miami fans watching it. They were. I they didn't were say. I said non-FSU, non-Miami, just football okay. fans. Okay. All right. We'll get to the defense here. Uh, maybe Charlie Strong can be a segue. This speaks to the rivalry, though. But uh, post game, I, I talked with Jordan Travis on the field, and so to get there, you realize just how many connections there are because there's Charlie Strong and Randy Shannon saying hello. I mean, all these guys know each other, not just coaches. I think Charlie Strong made it a, a point to come over and talk to Jordan. Uh, obviously, they had a relationship. Charlie probably recruited him. Just just a lot of that back and forth. And, you know, before the game, Lamar Thomas was in our radio booth talking to William Floyd, and Gino Toretta is one booth down. And then I look at the NFL scout list, and Zach Crockett was in for the Raiders, and Danny McManus was in for Winnipeg, and Jesse Armstead scouts for the Giants. And just everywhere – and then on the sideline – Edron James was there and honored for Miami, Florida State sideline. There's Mar- Marvin Jones, certainly, and Everett Brown. And, and then I look up, and there's Warwick Dunn, who was watching the game. It's just all these guys that have been central figures in this rivalry over the years. They want to be a part of it and see it. Uh, and that part of it is is pretty cool to see, especially when, when it's 45-3 in your favor. And, and obviously that makes all of us on our side happy. But, again – We've seen some very, I have seen some reasonably, if not very poor, telecast this year. But I thought that Tessitore and, and, and them did a very good job of, of speaking to the history and the significance. And uh, it was a well-done ball game from a technical standpoint. Uh, the, on, the only mistake Tessitore made, and I made it, I had to go back. I, I'm thinking to myself, I had to go back and change my, my 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 phone, Tommy. I had us play in Louisville in the game before Florida, and it's Louisiana. And <laughs> Testator said it was Louisville, and then they threw up a, a graphic that said it was Louisiana. And I could just—he never said anything, but I could hear him just, you know, doing like I did. How in the world could you make that mistake? That's funny. Uh, yeah, we don't want to play Louisville again because they've righted their ship a little bit since we beat them earlier this year. Very much so. Of course, we've gotten a lot better, too. And so you mentioned the defense. Florida State was 21st in total defense coming into this game. And obviously, that's going to improve. I We've talked about this, but when you see it in real time, the, the return of Fabian Lovett is so huge to making this defense. Uh, I, I don't know where people rank them in their mind. Uh, but but if, if it was a, a B, it's gone from a B to a B plus or A minus. I mean, it's just very noticeable what he brings up the middle because everybody else is better and benefits from him being on the field. Well, Florida State's numbers were quite remarkable. They held Miami to 188 yards of total offense, uh, only 62 yards through the air. And as we've talked a couple of times since uh, big number zero has returned, you know, it, it does two or three things. Number one, obviously, you're getting what you would consider, no offense to the other guys, but you're getting what you would consider a better player at that position. Secondly, it may, he's one of those guys that makes everyone else around him better. And thirdly, if you're on the offensive side, the opponent's side, you've got to account for him. So whereas in the past you had, you had the luxury of double, double teaming over here or staying single here, 
or flaring a back instead of leaving a back in for pass pro, you now have to change that from the offensive side. So uh, his presence is a lot more than just what he brings to that particular position. I don't want to make him Superman, but uh, he is significant in, in how he elevates everyone's play and the attention he draws from the opposing's offense, the opponent's offense. What did you want to add about the defense, Keith? Give me, I'll give you a chance there. I mean, it's Miami's quarterback situation is what it is, and we'll talk about that. But in general, the way the defense played. It, it, again, and I, and I, I won't say I feel sorry for Miami. I'll just say it's, it's understood that they did not get good quarterback play. They've got opportunities, and, and, and they'll be fine going forward. What I wanted to speak to is it appeared to me, uh, maybe someone will ask Coach Fuller this, but either because of that, or because of um, confidence, Florida State was in a lot more man coverage, it appeared, last night. And there weren't people running free. There were contested balls the few times that Miami was able to actually execute a, an offensive pass play. Um, and I'm just wondering if that, how much of that was Miami's quarterback deficiencies versus how much uh, Coach Shannon and Coach uh, uh, Fuller think that this defense can be a little more aggressive, not, if not a lot more aggressive. What would you see? What was your take on that? Well, the greedy Vance interception was actually in zone, I'm pretty sure. And so, uh, but I, I agree. I, I, I just think to the point you made, when Lovett's there, it makes everybody else better. Uh, they were going to get after the quarter, but Miami's plan when Van Dyke was healthy was obviously – Let's try and keep them upright. We're going to throw these little three-yard patterns. And they did move the ball on that field goal drive a little bit. But that is not the reason Miami lost, by the way, because it was 14-3 to and it was third down at their own four-yard line when Van Dyke went out. Um, I thought it was a good – I thought Jamie Robinson was stellar last night, Keith. When he gets close to the line of scrimmage and doesn't have to be in coverage, I mean, he is a missile attacking whoever has the football. Uh, and he's an unaccounted for guy, really. Or if he's accounted for, he's going around or getting through his blocks because he's really good. Tatum Bethune played well, even though he's not 100% healthy. Patrick Payton's going to be a star. He That guy is so long. When he puts some more weight on him, he's going to be the next star defensive end. We're going to talk about who's FSU going to get in the portal because Jared Verse is likely to leave. Well, getting 15 more pounds on Payton and lining him up as a starting DN that next year is going to be part of the answer to that question. Because he's good. Well, so I, there are a lot of guys that played well. And remember, too, one of the reasons you go to the portal is you don't have a first or second year guy that you think that much of. Well, now the whole, not the whole, but a number of the position groups, Coach Norvell and his staff are going to be making different decisions. They're going to be going, all right, we got two or three kids we think can elevate. So we, we don't need this position in the portal. We can recruit and bring in some high school kids and, and develop that pipeline. I mean, that, that is a, a mixed, you know, one plays off of the other. Uh, and, and you're right. And I thought Verse played a very sound ball game. Uh, he did record a sack, maybe one and a half. I have to check. But, you know, he, he's, he's not putting up the Jermaine Johnson numbers because he's been dinged up and, and the opportunities haven't come. But that doesn't matter to the professional scouts. They watch the tape. And his run support, his contain, his his effort, uh, he may not have those things that the fans look at from a number standpoint, although he's still pretty good numbers-wise. Uh, but I thought he had an outstanding effort last night as well. He, re he recovered a fumble, too. 
Correct. Granted, that wasn't a forced fumble because it was a bad snap, but he did recover that. Verse versus numbers would be better had Fabian Lovett had he not himself been had he himself been healthy, and had Fabian Lovett not missed four games. Verse would have piled up more stats in there. That's true too. How, how about the fact that we're two games in a row, by the way, where Jordan Travis is wearing a baseball cap in the fourth quarter for the entire fourth quarter? Me and the second team is out there, and and everybody else is is getting a rest. I mean, that's not insignificant at this point in the season that your first team is not having to play a full game. Well, not only that, I mean, Travis only attempted 12 passes. You know, there's been games when he's attempted 32 passes. Yeah. Um, it, to your point. Yeah. Yeah. So that uh, something they'll take into Syracuse. What did you think about the Miami quarterback situation? And I guess this is we don't know what the injury is to Van Dyke. But when he's out there and you can see that he's trying to play, but he's really not super healthy. And then he just throws the ball away. And I'm sure the replay showed it. He was in immense pain right away and mm-hmm, dropped. His mm-hmm. arm was upset. And then they put him back in. That was the part that shocked me. And the same thing happened again. And I just, again, I don't know what the injury is. I know it's to his throwing arm. And he was a pretty good quarterback coming into this year. It it seems a little malpractice-like. At some point, you got to protect the kid from himself is what it feels like. Again, not knowing what the injury is. Well, they've got the the big, tall freshman who who has some outstanding uh, athleticism. They had Garcia, who who's kind of a journeyman and a and a handyman and and you know kind of a placeholder. Um, in, in answer to your question, I, you know, obviously I'm not a physician, but I would tell you that it appeared to me, and, and here's how I would rationalize it, as opposed to saying that it was is bad decision or bad coaching decision or or athletic um, uh, staff decision. You know, and on defense, we would get burners and you you would get a stinger and your shoulder would feel like it's going to fall off. I mean, it was it was terribly intense pain, but it would go away. You know, so if you set out a few, if you set out a series or you set out a few plays in a series, you could go back in. And as long as you didn't hit it the same way, you would be OK. And so that's how I equate it. Uh, obviously, they went in at halftime and whatever evaluation they did or didn't do and, you know, keeping the player from overdoing himself and doing too much. He was in street clothes in the second half, but um, I, I can identify with that pain, that intense pain that goes away uh, given, given my experience, you know, a hundred years ago. And yes, we did have face masks and no, they weren't leather helmets and all the other things. Thanks for going there before I had an opportunity to go. go there. I could see it in your face, dude. I could see it in your face. You knew you knew that was coming up next. Well, it's nice to to whip uh, Miami. Um, Syracuse up next. Now, Syracuse's quarterback has been hurt. Garrett Schrader, he did not play yesterday in Syracuse's loss to Pitt. And so it's going to be another week of game time decision. Now, I'm going to point out one thing here. Obviously, Florida State's catching a little bit of a break because they're not seeing the number one quarterback from Georgia Tech or Miami and maybe not Syracuse either. But you know what? Nobody puts an asterisk in the media guide for years to come. There's no asterisk for the game that Jordan Tra- games Jordan Travis missed the last two years. There's no asterisk for, for Marcus Outson being the starting quarterback against Tennessee in the Fiesta Bowl. You know what I mean? It is what it is. You play the schedule in front of you. You, you uh, rack up the stats against whoever you're playing, and so there's no need to apologize for that. They just need to be ready to play whoever it is for Syracuse next week. That is correct. And, uh, you know, Florida State has kind of struggled up there in the whatever the name of the dome is now, the former Carrier Dome. Um, 
I mean, and Syracuse, if they run the ball, Syracuse is a very difficult team. I mean, in other words, they don't necessarily have to have that quarterback in an RPO or a passing situation. You know, they, they got horses up front. They can just choose to, to pound and, and grind and, and see if you can't uh, you know, speed that clock up, uh, knock down the number of opportunities that Florida State has offensively. There are some, some, some things that Coach uh, Dino could do uh, to shorten that game and make it a, a little more advantageous to Syracuse. So Florida State has to be ready uh, if they want to go up there and expect to win. The primetime game, we'll talk more about it later this week. But Syracuse, after starting 6-0, and has now lost uh, three straight games, Clemson, Notre Dame, Pitt. They've got FSU, and then they have Wake Forest and Boston College. So they sort of have the opposite of what Florida State had. They're getting their toughest part of the schedule in the second half, uh, not not in the middle. Um, and I don't know if Schrader will play. We'll have to see. I do know this, Keith. Nobody will beat this drum, and I'm not really one that wants to beat the uh, the ACC drum. But if you look at the uh, ACC Atlantic right now, Keith, the last year of the division, there are six teams in the ACC Atlantic that are six and three or better. The entire division, other than Boston College, is bowl eligible and is six and three or better. That's pretty impressive. And, and especially in light of the fact of the comment I made earlier, unfortunately, with Clemson losing it's very likely that a much more competitive ACC will not even have a representative in the CFP. Yeah, I think you're right about it. I mean, Clemson's eight and one now, NC State seven and two. Uh, credit to NC State for losing their quarterback, by the way, and and finding a way to not cash in the season. They've they've actually played well. They're playing it. They're not playing the guy that came in against FSU. They're playing the next guy, I think, and they've they've had some success. Meanwhile, you got you got LSU who could get in with two losses, Keith, and, and Florida State has a win over that LSU team. But nobody's going to stack up the SEC West against the ACC Atlantic and argue no, that it's close, no, even, no. even when you look at the <laughs> some of the results there. Not because, at all. We, we'll, we'll be fair. We won't be so jaded to, to go there. I, I'll just say one of the teams, one of those six and three teams in the ACC Atlantic does own a win over the best team in the SEC West. I'm just going to point that out and leave it there. Uh, I would remind you to say that only in the room in which you're seated and not to bring that up in any other room in the block household. Our uh, longtime listeners will know my rationale. Yes, I I understand. Uh, My wife was rather pleased last night about the LSU win. All right, Keith, we need to uh, salute. uh, Did you just throw all 22 starters names in a hat and pull one out? And that's our player of the game or how are we doing this? I could have come close to it. I could come close to it, but it is time now for our performance of the game brought to you by our good friends at Prime Meridian Bank, and I'm going to salute Trey Benson. Uh, We've mentioned it before. 15 carries, uh, 128 yards, uh, two touchdowns, a long of 42. He averaged 8.5 yards per game. You know, Michael Pittman talked about it a little bit. Uh, Trey, not so much, but he was going up against his former coach and Mario Cristobal, the transfer from Oregon. And uh, I will not this time short him his one pass reception for 25 yards. Speaking of performance, if you want to go someplace where they know you by name, they'll offer you a warm cookie, something to drink, great products, whether it be a mortgage or a home equity line, a business checking account, personal checking account, go see our friends at Prime Meridian Bank. Prime Meridian Bank, member FDIC, they've got offices in Tallahassee, Crawfordville, and Lakeland. Go by and see them or check them out on the web at the www.trymybank.com. Prime Meridian Bank. Keith, what else do we need to hit on here? 
well, I think we need to be, um, some of our fan base will be euphoric. You've, you've totally destroyed a rival. You, you put up 45 points. You've got a defense now that is top 20. Um, but we've got to be centered. We've got to remember that this is still a young team. And while they were very, very focused in a rivalry game, and while there was plenty to teach from, uh, from the tape in the game prior that was also a victory, uh, you've got to travel again, back-to-back road games. You've got to go to a place that you've not played well uh, recently. You've got to go up against a team that is going to be also very well coached, even though uh, they may not have their starting quarterback. A defense that is very opportunistic. You've got to make sure you protect the ball. You've had a tendency for penalties, although Saturday night wasn't one of them. There's been other times, uh, pre-snap, uh, over, over emotional, et cetera, et cetera. So you just got to work. And that, that's probably the biggest thing that Coach Norvell and his staff has instilled in this 2022 edition of Florida State football. They will go to work, and they will work with each other. And if they will prepare and be focused, they can be successful up at Syracuse. But if they get the big head, if they think too much of themselves, if they lose their maturity, then they could be in for a long, long evening. Uh, And even if they won, they might not look good doing it. And right now, uh, you want to play clean games and you want games that look good as you finish out this 2022 season. Keith, I don't know. We're 40 minutes into the show. You know what we haven't mentioned? FSU is bowl eligible, which used to be taken for granted. But here it is with three games to go. We're happy to have punched that ticket. Well, you and I were together at the last bowl game that FSU was at. Uh, it had a great experience at the Sun Bowl in El Paso. Uh, and no disrespect for the Sun Bowl people, but, you know, when, when you're previously used to uh, New Year's or Big Six or whatever we call those games, and, and by no means in my suggestion that Florida State's going to play in one of those this year, Um, it is a climb back into the mid-level and the higher level of the bowls. And you're exactly right. Very, very thankful to hopefully be going to one this year. doesn't matter where it is. I do think, and this won't make the ACC, uh, the rest of the schools in the ACC happy, but there, there is a scenario where FSU, I think basically becomes the third choice of the ACC because you're going to have the two teams in the championship game and then FSU being the next pick above teams that they might have lost to like a Wake Forest or NC State because FSU is a bigger draw. So I do think you're looking now it's not a it's not one of the uh, the top slots to your point, but it's it's still not a bad bowl game. I think that's way that the way this is trending if FSU wins out. Correct. Correct. Which is which is what they'll have to do. And I don't. I don't have the uh, the full list in front of me, but uh, personally, I'm hoping for the Holiday Bowl in San Diego, but that's actually further down the line. If FSU is the third pick, the, the top team, assuming they're not in the playoff, is going to go to the uh, the Orange Bowl, and then you've still got Orlando in there. Jacksonville is going to push hard to get FSU in the Gator Bowl, so that, that's those are probably on the short list right now, I would say, if FSU keeps playing the way they're playing. You just want to be on an airplane for four and a half hours. I know what you want. Well, I don't want to go to Jacksonville to the Gator Bowl or whatever it's called now. I'll just say that. (laughs) (laughs) And folks in Jacksonville, that is the one and the only Tom Block. Yeah, send your emails to uh, Keith Jones. All right, Keith, (laughs) let's do this again on uh, Wednesday. Until then, uh, have a great rest of your day. Always uh, enjoy. Well, 
I can't say always enjoy because I don't know that we've ever recapped a 45 to three win over Miami. As a matter of fact, I know we never have. That's but this correct. was enjoyable. This was enjoyable. I, I could do this on a routine basis. Yes. Yeah. Maybe we'll do a show in about six hours and we'll just talk about the same stuff again. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, to, thanks to our listeners for, for putting up with us. Yeah. He's Keith. I'm Tom. This is Front Row Knowles. <laughs>